This is Crossroads with Clayton King. Hey, I'm really excited about you listening to this message because it was part of a four-part series we did at our church where we talked about slaying the giants. And those giants that so many of us face feel insurmountable. The giant of insecurity or comparison. Maybe the giant of unforgiveness or maybe shame from past mistakes you've made or sins that you've committed. On the Sunday I preached, I got to talk about the giant of greed and how so many of us seem to know other people that we think are greedy, but we don't think of ourselves as being greedy. And I get it because I find myself struggling and wrestling with that giant too. So we're gonna look at the scripture today And we're going to see some practical biblical ways that we can slay the giant of greed in our life. And I'll give you a hint. The best way to slay the giant of greed is to give. Make giving a practice, a spiritual habit, something that you do regularly. Get your pen out, get your notebook out, get out your notes app on your phone. And hopefully you're going to learn something practical to help you slay the giants in your life, specifically the giant of greed, and replace it with the blessing of generosity. So today we're going to look at this giant called greed. So here's what I found interesting this week as I was preparing to preach on this giant of greed. I found that most people know somebody who they would think struggles with greed, but very few of us actually think that we do. This was borne out in a couple of ways. So first of all, our social media team did something really interesting this week. They posted um, a tweet on Twitter that basically gave four options in an online survey of which one of these giants we struggle with the most. And they gave four options. And the four options were, which one of these do you struggle with the most? And they listed the four giants that I just mentioned. Greed all the way up to anxiety. 57% of the people who participated in that survey said they struggle with anxiety, 57%. And we're gonna get there in just a few weeks. But did you know that only 7% of the people who responded said they struggle with greed? Only 7%. I told you, Gary Greed is big and ugly, but he is also sneaky. He's a shape shifter. He has camouflage and he comes in many disguises. Let me take you back to the scripture that we began with last week. This is from Numbers chapter 13, verses 27 and following. So they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites, and the Mosquito Bites, and the Good Nights live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. 
I'm gonna pause here for a moment. When the spies, all 12 of them, went into the promised land, they saw two things. It was filled with abundance and it was filled with giants. What we know about giants is that a giant only possesses land that is valuable. A giant like greed will only try to take control of an area of your life if he knows that you are valuable and that you have access to the blessing of God. We also learned last week that giant is a relative term. A giant is only big in comparison with something. Let me point this out to you. 10 of the spies come back and they say, don't do it, abort the mission. It's full of milk and honey, but there are giants there. Caleb and Joshua, two out of 10, come back and they speak with faith and they say, we can surely take it. It's rich, it's, it's blessed. Milk and honey are very different than manna. They've been in the wilderness for 40 years. They've been living in scarcity for 40 years. They've had barely enough for 40 years and now they have access to more than enough and a majority of them say, I don't want it. It's too good, it can't be true. They had been living in a manna mentality, but I'm gonna say something to you today as one of your pastors. I'm gonna challenge you, I'm gonna encourage you, I'm gonna speak some truth right now. We as a church are filled with generous people and some who are still on the sidelines trying to figure it out. And I'm gonna say something right now I hope you remember. It is time we as a church move away from manna mentality and we move to milk and honey mentality. Manna is barely enough, but God has milk and honey. God has more than enough for us. And here's the cool thing about milk and honey. It's not just that you can drink some milk and eat some honey. A land that's filled with milk is a land that's filled with cattle. A land that's filled with cattle is a land that's filled with rich fields, fields that have been planted and cultivated, fields that produce a harvest. In order for cows to give milk, cows have to eat. In order for cows to eat, people have to grow something. In order for something to grow, the ground has to be fertile and there has to be water for irrigation. This promised land was filled with milk because it was filled with cows that could give milk, well-fed cows from well-harvested fields that were plowed and planted and fertile and irrigated with water. Is anybody picking up what I'm laying down for you today? The lamb was full of milk. That means the lamb was rich. It was also filled with honey. That means, and this was true in the ancient world, any lamb that was filled with honey meant that there were bees. That meant that there were beekeepers. That meant that there were farms. That meant there was wealth because in order for honey to be produced, you have to have bees. In order to have bees, you have to have flowering plants that release their nectar for bees to feed upon. They pollinate, the bees take it, they make honey with it. This was a sign of financial blessing. This was a sign of abundance. No wonder the giants were there. Don't you want to go to a place that's filled with riches, blessing, and abundance? See, that's what these giants do. They possess land and they use fear to keep God's people away from God's blessing. And so for a lot of us, the issue is not really greed as much as it is fear. Look at verse 31. After Caleb speaks up and says, we can take this land the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. 
They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. This is all about perspective. This, this great big giant that tells you you can't tithe because you don't have enough money. You can't be generous because you haven't saved enough. You can't give an offering above and beyond the tithe because one day your roof might leak. One day your HVAC might go out. One day the transmission in your car may fall out on the road. You can't be generous. This giant speaks to us from a perspective of fear because notice, in their own eyes, they seemed like grasshoppers. And once they saw themselves small, they convinced themselves that the giant could defeat them. It's all about our perspective. It's all about what we see. It says in Numbers 33 that these guys thought they were like grasshoppers in the eyes of the giant. And it was all based on their perspective. So I'm gonna give you three words today. And we're gonna bring these three words back in every sermon in the Slaying Giant series. Brad's gonna use this, Lee's gonna use this, Stacy's gonna use this. We're gonna learn how to slay the giants by these three words. First of all, we have to see the giant for what it really is. We have to be aware that there really is a giant. We have to understand that greed may be ugly and destructive and he may wanna cripple you with debt and he may want you to go into debt by borrowing money you don't have to pay for stuff you don't need to impress people you don't like. We need to see him for who he really is. He's a liar. And he tells us that more stuff would make us happy. He tells you that you can't really tithe. He tells you that it doesn't matter if you put anything in the plate. It doesn't matter if you give anything at all. He'll tell you that tithing is Old Testament and you shouldn't even worry about it. We need to see him for what he really is. He is a liar. So this is all in our perspective. Paul gives us some real good spiritual insight on how we can see the giant of greed for who he really is. Here's what Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Not the love of, not, not money, not just resource, not wealth, not riches, not a house, not a car, not a 401k, not a, not a retirement account, no, no, money is not evil. The love of money is evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I can attest, I've seen this. And I wanna give you this point that I think needs to be mentioned. Don't confuse need with greed. Because a lot of the things that we as Americans end up doing with our money we convince ourselves it's worth it because we need it, 
When in reality, we don't need it, we greet it. We don't need it, we greet it. Now, let me, let me clarify something as one of your pastors. Just because you live in a big, nice house doesn't mean you're greedy. Just because I drive a nice car doesn't mean I'm greedy. Just because you have saved up money for a rainy day, for retirement, that doesn't mean you're greedy. That means you're smart. That means you're wise. But there comes a moment where we need to see it differently. Because for some of you, you haven't saved anything. For some of you, you've saved enough. For some of us, we're struggling right now. For some of us, we haven't struggled in years. So I don't know where you're at with your finances. And we were talking about this backstage. We've had sermons on money, but we can't remember ever having a sermon on greed because this giant is so sneaky that he's convinced us he's not coming after us. So how do we go then from this, we see greed for who he is, to actually doing something about it? We slay. We see the giant for who he really is, and then we slay that giant. Okay, so how do we slay greed? How do we get the hooks of greed out of us? How do we become aware that sometimes we move toward greed when we should be moving toward generosity? There are some ways to do this and we go back to the word of God because that's our primary source. Paul says in that same chapter, 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul is writing this letter from a prison cell to Timothy. Timothy is leading a small group of believers in a church in a city that was filled with rich, retired Roman generals. And Paul doesn't tell Timothy, go tell all those rich people to give all their money away because it's a sin to be rich. No, it's not a sin to have nice things. It's a sin when nice things have me. It's not a sin to have resources. It is a sin to hoard them for myself when God's church needs them and other people in need truly need our resources. And that's why he says, command the rich people you know to be rich in good deeds, generous and willing to share. That is how you slay greed. We'll be back in just a minute to finish this message. But before we do, I wanted to invite you to pray for us and even attend our 26th annual Crossroads Winter Conference. It's in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. This is a student event for middle school and high school students. And it's gonna be Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. It's gonna be Friday, January the 12th through Sunday, January the 14th. This is an amazing student weekend, a big conference with thousands of kids from all over 
the Southeast. And we'd love for you to come. I'll be preaching there. My wife, Shari, will be there. Our son, Jacob, will be there. Great worship from folks like Charlie Butrago. Great speakers, amazing fellowship. It's going to be awesome. Go to CrossroadsWinterConference.com for more information. CrossroadsWinterConference.com. And you can register your students right now for our Winter Conference this January in Gatlinburg. If you feed greed, it grows into a giant. So if you want to beat this giant, if you want to slay him, stop feeding him. I don't know what that might mean for you. I have no idea. That may mean you spend a little less money on yourself and you give a little bit more. That may mean that someone you know at work or at school that's had a need, you could provide for that need and maybe even do it anonymously and they would never, ever know. Every time you give, you're slaying this giant. Maybe for you, in order to slay the giant, your next step is you made a commitment years ago and you didn't keep it. You made a commitment. You put pen to paper, you gave God your word and you didn't come through on it. Maybe the blessing in your life that God wants to pour out on you, the promises that you haven't received is a result of the fact that you have stopped giving. Because if we don't give to God, you know what we do with our money? Something else. And usually, greed shape shifts from a giant and slithers right into the garden of our life like the serpent in Eden and whispers to us, does God really need your money? Does that big church really need your money? And then you'll even have other preachers that'll back up and say, God doesn't want your money, God wants your heart. Well, I'm gonna say he wants them both. He wants your heart first, because if he has your heart, it's no problem to give him your money. That's what God really wants. Why does God want your money? Because of what Paul told Timothy. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And this big, nasty, ugly, filthy giant, every time he shifts into a different shape, he slithers into your mind and your life and convinces you, you don't need to give. Hey, can I ask a question for, for some of us? Again, this isn't for every one of you. If it's not, take a time out. But for those of you that have resources, we like to think in terms of the haves and the have-nots. That's a true uh, phrase, right? But I think most of us are somewhere between the haves and the have-mores. Have any of us gotten to a place in our life where we've amassed so much we don't need to trust God anymore to provide? Have we? There are people probably watching right now. You could write a check for a million dollars to this church or another charity or another organization and not even feel it, while there are other people that $10 really affects how they eat. It's not equal amounts, it's equal sacrifice. It's not equal amounts. It's being generous and willing to share, rich in good deeds. That's how we slay him by giving. We slay him by instead of sitting on the sidelines going, well, I'm just gonna wait a little bit longer and see if that church makes it. Hey, we're gonna make it. We're making it right now. We're making it for Jesus Christ and for his glory. We're doing it together as a team. And for some of you, you haven't tithed in a year. And you're like, well, I, I, that's a lot of money. Well, just ask the question, what if? What if you tithed all the money that you haven't tithed in the last year? Do you trust your ability to manage that money more than you trust God's promise to bless you if you obey? Let me go on to our last one. How do you stay free from the giant once you slay him? 
Because here's the thing about greed. You can slay this giant and he's gonna come right back in another form. You can cut him down, you can knock him out, you can stomp him in the ground in the smithereens and he's coming right back to tempt you. So how do we stay free from greed once we have slayed him? Know this, tithing is not generosity, it is obedience. I'm not gonna call myself generous because I give 10% of my income back to the church. That's not generosity, that's obedience. Oh, and in case you've never heard anything about tithing, it is a biblical concept. It did not begin at the 10 commandments, it began when Abraham gave a tithe, 10% of all he had to a man named Melchizedek. You can read about that in Hebrews chapter seven. So the concept of tithing predates the law. In Matthew and in Luke, Jesus speaks to the Pharisees and says, you are so religious that you tithe off your spice rack. You give your tithe of mint, dill, and cumin, but you ignore weightier matters like love and justice. And then Jesus says, you should do both, not at the expense of one or the other. So some people may say, well, I believe that tithing is the Old Testament. I believe we should give according to the New Testament. Yes, I totally agree with that. And the tithe is where you start. Anything above that is generosity. Anything above 10%, that is giving. This is how you stay free. Tithing is not generosity, it's just simple obedience. And for some of us today, the first step is obey. You're gonna trust God. And here's the thing I've learned about money. I trust God's word over my ability when it comes to my money. I'll tell you what else I trust. I trust God's word over our world. And some of us can remember how many people lost half of everything they had, some people everything they had when the economy tanked in 2008. It'll probably do it again at some point if we live long enough. And even if it doesn't, even if the economy goes up, up, up and all of our investments keep going up and to the right, I am still gonna tithe, I'm still gonna give because I would rather obey God than obey my greedy, selfish nature when old greed comes and whispers in my ear again. Remember this, if you wanna stay free, greed grows where generosity should be. So you're either gonna be greedy or you're gonna be generous. I'm either gonna be greedy or I'm gonna be generous. I'm either gonna do what God says and give to help other people or I'm gonna do what I want and I'm gonna do things for me. And here's the thing about this old shape shifter. Greed turns into a weed. Greed becomes a weed. If you're not from the South, I'm gonna tell you about this wonderful thing we have called kudzu. In Union, South Carolina, they have a kudzu festival. They make jelly and kudzu chips. I've never been, I'd like to go, sounds fascinating. Kudzu is a weed that in the middle of the summer with the right amount of rainfall and the proper temperature, kudzu can grow one foot a day. Here's how we stay free from this giant. We pull up the weeds. Here's how we stay free. We clear the land. We go into this promised land that God's given us. We walk in and we say, you might look ugly, you might look big, but you are not the boss of me. You will not lie to me or manipulate me anymore. You're a liar, you're a fake. I don't believe that you really are as big and strong as you say you are. And I'm gonna get right up in your face and tell you that God's word is true and you are lie. 
Get some attitude with it. Get mad about it. Get mad at being broke. Get sick of being in debt. Get tired of always worrying about money. Get disgusted with it. And then obey God and say, I'm going to clear the land. I'm going to look at my life. Here's how you do it. I'm going to look at my life and I'm going to see the areas of my life that I have been greedy and didn't even know it. That I have amassed more for myself and didn't even know it. And I'm going to weed this garden. I'm going to plow it up. I'm going to pull out the roots so the generosity can grow where greed is trying to inhabit. Here's something practical that you can do on the tail end of this message that I think will help you understand this concept of generosity. If you feel an impulse, if you feel a desire or even a thought that you should give something to somebody, whether that be a car, a room in your house that isn't being used, an amount of money, write them a check, buy their meal. If you even get the idea or the thought that you should be generous to someone, instead of ignoring it or explaining it away, how about go with that feeling? Just do it. Follow that impulse because it's probably coming from the Holy Spirit. Hey, I know this, Satan's never going to tell you to be generous and your own selfish desires will never inspire you to practice generosity. Our selfishness and the devil will tell us to be greedy, but God wants us to give. So this week, look for opportunities to follow that still small voice and be generous and you'll watch greed die. If you'd like to hear this message again, send it to a friend, or learn how to take a next step in your walk with Jesus, check us out at ClaytonKing.com.